Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's special episode of Lodestar's Lending Leaders. We have on for you this week, Dan Smith, VP of Sales from LendingPad. LendingPad is an LOS platform, a Lodestar partner, someone I've worked with in, in past jobs as well. Um, so really excited to have Dan and his input um, into the industry today. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining. Um, would love to hear you talk a little bit um, kind of about yourself. You have a, a wealth of industry experience in the wonderful world of mortgage compliance and mortgage technology. Uh, so would be interested in hearing a little bit about that, and then we can kind of get into some, some industry things here. Sounds great, Jim, and thanks for having me, and congratulations on the podcast. Thank you. Um, but the, the short version of my background is I joined the, the uh, mortgage industry like everyone joined the mortgage industry and that is by accident. Mm -hmm. um, was out, uh, in my case, I was out of college, needed a job. I was, um, didn't give a whole lot of forethought towards my career in college, um, strange as that may sound, um, but I was placed in a temp agency at a, at a mortgage company, um, got different experience, um, transferred with them from uh, one state to another, saw a different side of the business, and then quickly fell into mortgage tech. And prior to lending pad, um, I had 20 years um, divided between Fiserv and also um, compliances. So um, background heavily in the sales side, but also in um, sort of the support tech consulting side of the business as well. Mm -hmm. And so what you talked a little bit about what got you into the industry, but what's kept you around? Uh, yeah, great question. I, you know, Probably like you, Jim, um, you know, the, it's a small industry and yet it's very nuanced. It's complicated. It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I like solving problems and I, I like building long-term relationships and this industry of, affords the opportunity to, to do both and uh, continues to change. So that's what's kept me engaged and um, why I'm still here and have the chance to talk with you. Yeah, well, we appreciate you coming on. It's definitely a, a small industry that's kind of affects everything and affected by everything too. There's not a single person you can't talk to about real estate or mortgages or something related because at the end of the day, everyone needs needs a place to live. Yeah. So you've you've been in mortgage technology during an interesting time of, you know, the I guess internet 2.0 into internet 3.0 now. A lot of the changes that we've seen over the past few years. Um, how have you seen the way people view lenders view technology differing as a necessary evil to actually embracing it? Like how have those conversations you've had changed? Good question. It's across the board on that. Um, I think that there's actually been a migration towards more, more people thinking that it is not just a necessary evil, but mm -hmm. actually a great tool to help facilitate business. Because after all, I mean, if, if we are focused on what we're, we are doing, we are helping to facilitate the, the American dream. And uh, there's, it's been a highly convoluted process um, and for good reason in many cases, but the ability to do that in a more elegant way is very exciting. And I think most folks recognize that tech has a, a big part of that today. So you talked a little bit about lenders' view on technology, but what what changes have you seen in mortgage technology since you first came into the industry? Um, well, that, that's a good question. Um, I and I've been in the industry as, as we mentioned for a while, so I, I don't know the uh, uh, abacus. Um, you know, fast forward years forward, mechanized calculator. Um, you know, I. It, it's been um, now it's been a, 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 an industry that has been somewhat slow in, in adopting uh, new tech 
but I think it may be helpful to think about, you know, why that may be. Um, and I'd say there's probably two or three reasons why that, you know, may have been the case. One is that uh, the, um, you know, the industry is just very complicated and there's a lot of moving parts to it. Uh, another is that there's a heavy sort of regulatory compliance um, burden that um, lenders have to adhere to. And the third is um, it's a very sales driven uh, business as well. And so there's a lot of focus on sales and getting um, the pipeline uh, that you have through. And so those are all factors, I think, that on the one hand have maybe led to some hesitation to make changes, but they're actually factors that can be highly impacted in a positive way with technology. So those were some of the things that, um, that I think um, are, are, are worth exploring into how we've gotten to where we are today. Yeah, um, well, yeah, that I think that's interesting. I mean, let's unpack that a little bit. In particular, the last one, the relationship and the sales focus is one that we talk about a lot here, which is, is this a technology business or is this a sales business? And how do you use technology to kind of improve relationships, right? You see a lot of lenders trying to turn this into a purely transactional business versus other people still focusing on the relationship. So how do you, you know, view that both on your own and trying to sell into the industry as well as the clients you have and speak with? Yeah, so I think the, you know, the, the fact that um, technology can come in and play a role uh, cannot have it replace the relationship side of things. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think there's probably, um, you know, of those things that are driving change today, there's, um, you know, the digitization of data has been a big factor. And how do you transfer to take advantage of that without sacrificing relationship? And then the other are maybe uh, just changes in consumer expectations. So on the, you know, on the on the digitization of data side of things, when I think back to where my career began in the late 90s, um, I was at uh, Old Kent Mortgage Company and literally one of the tasks that I had was set, standing up those bankers boxes. And that was the data retention plan. I mean, it was putting them in boxes. And um, I'm still, by the way, very adept at standing up those boxes quickly. So um, those were not wasted years. And in fact, that's a good party trick is look at me, put a box together quickly. But when it's revelatory, when you think about where we are now, and we take for granted sort of data, uh, just electronic data, but being able to take that data and, um, and, and uh, put it into verifiable data, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got technology like OCR having come along and, uh, you know, data capturing, but if you if you're moving towards verified data and the use of APIs, um, that's something that is uh, going to continue to evolve and can ultimately again benefit those consumer relationships. Well, how what is that? You know, let, let's unpack that a little bit. But also, um, I um, when I was working with my family's title company in the early 2000s, um, filling up boxes and getting closing documents into a storage warehouse was a big part of my job as well. Uh, so we have that in common. So um, happy I don't have to move boxes or deal with hand trucks anymore, but definitely yeah, right. gives you a, a good appreciation of where we've come in the industry. Um, so make the connection for me of OCR to a customer relationship, right? I get that we have less paper now, everything's digital. 
But how does that translate into a better relationship or even more time that a loan officer has with a consumer? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the, a lot of it is the industry just getting organized. So even something like MISMO and vendors agreeing to use a uniform language. I mean, if you're using MISMO, you probably had an easier transition with Erla. If you have an easier right. transition with Erla, you're probably providing a best, better consumer experience to, um, you know, to your constituents. And so, um, you know, back to the, the consumer uh, expectation side mm -hmm. of things, um, I think that consumers are increasingly expecting this convoluted process to be trimmed, trimmed down and made more simple so that, you know, you talk about giving time back, it's time back to the consumer because the process mm -hmm. is simplified. And it's also uh, then time that can be focused on the relationship uh, without having to deal with all of the friction that's involved in, in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And with those consumer expectations, do you feel that's driving the lender to behave differently? Because I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit there because I feel like at least with, with folks I know and people who are first-time home buyers, there's just not a lot of things that they expect about the industry um, for better or for worse. Um, so that transparency, that clarity isn't always there. Um, so yeah. it could be different after the fact, but people don't really know what to expect. It causes them to kind of go with expect, go with recommendations they get from the first person they talk to, typically a realtor. And then it leads, in my opinion, to folks after they close on a house to be frustrated with the process, but happy it's over, right? So how is that? How do you feel that that's changing? Well, there's an educational component. And yeah. by the way, I like that you, uh, I think you're one of the leaders that focus on, you know, what is it from the consumer point of view, even mm -hmm. so far as having a home, a prospective home buyer yeah. on your podcast, Sarah Quinn. Mm -hmm. And, yes. and I think when I think about that too, you know, we, we, in the industry, we, we've been through it many times. What does it look like for the, especially first time, um, Mm -hmm. borrower, but actually, you know, even if it's not the first time, the, pro mm -hmm. the whole process has changed, you know, when, when they go back in a second time. So, so what does that look like? I think, you know, part of it is this vision that the industry has set out for itself. And so I'll give you, I'll give you a seminal date and, sure. and, and there'd be natural evolution anyway, generational change, technology mm -hmm. would allow things to change, but February 7, 2016 mm -hmm. was the unveiling of rockets, push button, get mortgage. Yep. Um, Incidentally, if you remember uh, Super Bowl 50 more for that ad than Denver versus Carolina, you might possibly be a, a mortgage nerd. Um, but well, that wasn't a very good game. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> must not be a Denver fan. But the um, the 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 event itself, I think, cast this vision that there mm -hmm. would be a very simple process, and you know, it's controversial to a, to an extent. There was a lot of dialogue. The CFPB yeah. said. We encourage homeowners to slow down and ask, you know, ask questions and, and mm -hmm. quicken, you know, who owned Rocket at the time, you know, said, well, it's, um, uh, you know, it's our response to a slow and confusing industry, but right. putting away all that dialogue from a consumer perspective, you know, there's this idea that it's, there's not going to be a whole bunch of requests after an initial request or that it's going to be very complicated uh, to get data transmitted and, and, and so forth. And so, mm -hmm. I think that, um, Jim, from that whole event, you know, there already was a race to automate internally, but these yeah. types of things that we're talking about, going back to, you know, use of APIs and, and having a more um, confident ecosystem because we know the data that's being transmitted is accurate. 
all of this is the back operation or the automation that leads to that consumer expectation of right. and it's going to be a simple process. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's, I, I talk about that data a lot and I was actually thinking about it beforehand before you even brought it up um, of that Super Bowl ad really changing things. And if nothing, if nothing else, it was great marketing, right? Because everyone knows market rocket mortgage. Everyone remembers it. You have, you know, a big industry player like Wells Fargo being a horse and carriage, and now you're competing against them with a rocket ship. Come on, like that's a, what better imagery can you have than that? So, um, and I think one of the effects of that was the creation of what does a POS system look like in the mortgage industry? Everyone just started playing catch up, right? right. So, you know, in talking about what actually gets people to adapt, adopt new technology and push forward, that's usually competition, right? Yep. Or external change. Um, so the rocket mortgage was a great example of that. Our last 18 months is probably another example of a lot of external change that is getting put on folks, especially in the era of Zoom, which we're on now recording this. So how have you seen, you know, over the last 18 months, folks trying to adapt that way? Yeah. So, uh, you know, four years from the rocket ad at the Super Bowl was February 2020. And I was in San Francisco speaking at the NMLS conference. We had no idea that, you know, mere two or three weeks later, the world would change and, and still has not, you know, won't, won't be quite the same again. And from a, again, from a consumer expectation in that era, you know, people got used to doing all kinds of things that you never thought possible, not face-to-face, -face, physically face-to-face -face, yeah. and including selling and buying companies. So certainly that was another, I think, propulsion towards, consumers expecting that the mortgage is not going to require face-to-face uh, -face interactions. Mm -hmm. And how successful have lenders been at, at actually getting to that point where there aren't face-to-face -face interactions, there aren't wet signatures. You know, I think I always like making the digital camera comparison to e-closing where you know, the digital camera patent sat in a vault for what, 10, 20 years until you know, kind of Kodak was, was forced to adapt. Um, the e-closing technology itself has been out there for a while, but the industry has not quite adapted. You know, there's compliance reasons and, and other other things like that. Um, how do you see that that changing? And you know, where do you see the ball rolling, especially when you talk to clients who are tech focused? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think that there, um, you know, there's a certain number of mistakes and there's a certain um, number of things done right, but I, I would say it's it's not easy to be a lender and navigate all of this. Um, and yeah. I would say it is more right being done than than wrong. Um, more times you get it right than than wrong. Um, but I think that when um, when it's not as successful, it probably falls into a couple of categories. Either lenders are not um, utilizing um, the their due diligence efforts in the right way. They may be spending plenty of time with the vendor but they're maybe not asking the right questions or they're maybe not um, mm -hmm. um, properly future-proofing um, the, you know, the, the vendors um, or the decisions that they're making and, and what that entails. So um, those are um, mm -hmm. maybe sometimes when they're, they're, you know, they're getting it wrong. Um, well, how can you future-proof something, right? Without knowing a, a pandemic's coming or, you know, what, what consumer, if I knew what consumer expectation and habits were going to be over the yeah. next 18, you know, 24 months, I probably wouldn't be doing this. So how, how do you, yeah. how do yeah, you, you and me both. And I'm, 
and I'm terrible at, at predicting things. So yeah. Um, yeah, don't look at me either. Um, yeah, that's where it gets to be not easy. But I, I think mm-hmm. that you can't predict a pandemic right. per se, but you can um, you can generally pick a good partner and plans are going to change um, and growth plans right. uh, are going to change. But there probably is a general sense of alignment. Like, do, are mm-hmm. we well aligned? And, um, you know, can we, um, you know, can we as a lender um, also switch or, or if we go down a path with a certain technology, are mm-hmm. we in essence stuck forever? And I think yeah. that maybe speaks to the premise of your question. Um, well, how, how can you predict? I think it's because you can't. Uh, right. Sometimes you, you need to have some flexibility as a lender. Yeah. I think that focus on flexibility in your technology is really important. I um, I spoke with, um, I forget which LOS this was, but it was someone who basically comes in and helps customers clean up their LOS when things have just become a mess, right? And they're like the, you know, the fix it crew uh, for the company. And I asked, I asked them, what is the biggest problem that you see lenders having when you have to come and fix everything? And he said in a split second, over over customization, right? Over optimization. So you really build something for one specific case um, opposed to trying to be flexible and trying to be able to change things. So if you have a system that works really well for FHA refis, right? It may not work well when you're changing outside of that. So that's, I think, a, a good way to think of future proofing of let's focus on the flexibility. Like what happens when we add different business channels? What happens when we add new states where we work or new employees are scaling up? So um, I don't know, are you seeing kind of that from lenders in terms of you know being a little bit better about analyzing things than they used to be? Yeah, um, I, I think part of it too is when you approach things and, and I'll give a, uh, you know, a, something that resonated from actually your your value system, Lodestar has you know the three C's of community, um, clarity, and uh, connection. Right, I think all of those apply actually in this to this actual question because it's all about transparency and then the you know the utilizing that community. And I think there there is uh, quite a bit of um, uh, leverage leveraging the community that that I see occurring now, where lenders are talking to lenders and even mm-hmm. utilizing podcasts like this to get information um, using social media and the such. Those are some of the areas I think that are strong, stronger mm-hmm. today than maybe when things were done a little bit more siloed. Yeah, and I think with that point, first off, I love that you spat the three C's back to me. Most uh, most folks I work with still are, are struggling to memorize them, so I really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, and I think your the focus on connectivity is definitely something that's bigger and bigger because it's very tough for any system to be all things to all people. So I'm always impressed when I see lenders come to me before they pick a new system um, to figure out oh, are, what are you integrated with? If I go with this system, what is my tech stack going to look like? What are my integration partners? Are you going to be in there? Um, so I think that's something that's really interesting. And then, you know, the number of lenders that try to avoid just going after the next shiny ball technology because they want to see how well connected everything is. Um, and, you know, going off of that, do you find that lenders are viewing kind of their tech stack or their vendors differently than they have in the past? And, you know, what things can they be doing to get the most out of it that they aren't? Sure. Um, I, I would say if you're a lender and you ask yourself, is this important? 
from a you know consumer's point of view, then then you're asking the right question. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a few a few months ago, there was a Forbes article that cited an ICE study that surveyed homeowners uh, to get mm -hmm. their view of the importance of tech in the mortgage process. Mm -hmm. And we just talked about you know the consumer side of mm -hmm. things being you know the the focus. And it was um, a study that was done now versus 2018. And again, just looking at the perception of the value of tech investment. And spoiler alert, increasingly, consumers believe that tech should play a larger and larger role in the mortgage process. Mm -hmm. um, some of the areas that, um, you know, that they consumers cited uh, were um, mobile apps, online applications, uh, online portals, automation to reduce time to close, even reduction of in-person, you know, interactions, and then, you know, signing uh, docs online and e-notarizing. I mean, these things that, that, you know, dr drive speed and efficiency, as long as there's not, um, problems with, you know, the, um, the process or additional questions that get introduced to it. Mm -hmm. Um, an interesting side note, when I was reading this, um, there was an inverse correlation between size of a lender and the percentage of online apps received. In other words, lenders that had 200 plus employees, um, had a lower rate of, of, um, of, of receiving um, online apps uh, when they did mm -hmm. the, the survey. But um, mm -hmm. I think that in terms of benefit and how it you know, relates, are they getting the most out of the tech stack? Um, there was a, I'll cite one more blog. There was a Liberty Street Economics um, mm -hmm. blog that is um, put out by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, actually. And this, this came out three summers ago. So in other words, a millennia ago. But it was basically comparing fintech lenders to traditional lenders, and I think this will help answer you know the question: Are you getting the you know the most out of your tech stack? The the fintech lenders, and they it was fairly simple. They they use sort of as a proxy online apps as as uh, uh, you know whether or not you're focused on streamlining or having centralized mm -hmm. apps or you know focused on automation and such. But fintech lenders over the course of the study. And it was a long, longitudinal study that went from 2010 to 2016. Um, in, in essence, um, they came to the conclusion that yes, number one, they were closing loans faster. Um, but number two, and this was maybe the more important point, the delinquency rates were actually lower because uh, there was some concern that maybe they'd have compliance issues or you know, underwriting quality issues and such. And then, um, and then the third item that was cited was, was actually a higher rate of refinances among those borrowers. Um, now, that maybe correlation doesn't imply causation there, maybe right. a type of borrower that's utilizing them. So that may be a-, a Well, and also when you get a lower delinquency rate with more refis too. Right, yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah. but I think, the, the, but I think the, the, the larger point, and this is whether true whether or not there would be a pandemic or not, is that the, you know, things are going to evolve. And so it's, mm. it's a little bit more, towards moving to where things are going rather than where things are. Yeah. And if they go, if they go there faster than you thought they would, it doesn't necessarily change the direction. Right. And I think a lot of what you've seen over the last 18 months is just catalyzing things that were already happening in the industry, like digitization, move to e-closing, uh, work from home type environment. You know, I was on Zoom before the pandemic, but it's increased probably about tenfold over that time. I remember it was weird when you shared your camera 
um, and actually right. someone saw your face. It was it was a little bit awkward. And now this is just what everyone does. So right. it will be interesting to see what that changes. Um, yeah. and you had talked a little bit at the beginning about being in the industry in you know, 20 plus years. So speaking of a millennia, right, of industry time, you've seen the dot-com dot bubble, um, the industry really heating up, the Great Recession, um, now kind of industry getting back on its feet, trid, the COVID recession or boom for the industry, a little bit of both. So, you know, how do you think of those kind of ups and downs of something to plan for? Is it just sheer luck, you know, especially in working with customers, how, how omnipresent is something like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, the, we don't know what the future holds, but yeah. it can, you know, it's, it's suggestive that there's going to be new challenges and turmoils and, and things that, you know, folks are going to live through and have to fight through. I don't know that I have an answer to that. Um, yeah. But I would say that, um, I think staying true to your values will mm -hmm. be, it'd be, you know, a good guiding principle for, for starters. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, we talked about relationships and I think if we're focused on our mission, what it is that we as an industry are doing, what are we as yeah. a company doing? What are we as an individual doing? Um, mm -hmm. And then leaning onto that community side and the relationship side, mm -hmm. it's going to allow us to pivot, uh, you know, hopefully as needed. And it's always going to be a course of, you know, a dose of luck, yeah. if you will, because um, that's, you know, the, the things sometimes you do everything right and things don't work out. And mm -hmm. sometimes you, you succeed in spite of yourself. So yeah. I would say, I mean, of those items, you know, emotionally, um, you know, not 9-11, you know, is the, the toughest, but, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, how, how the industry responded, I, I would say, you know, probably the... Uh, you know, the great recession and, uh, you know, was, was mm -hmm. the hardest to, to, to deal with, you know, in my era, even more so than the, you know, than the pandemic. Yeah. I think that, well, it's kind of different to comparing the two due to some, some industry factors too, but I just remember with both kind of the, un, the uncertainty, um, around it. I remember it was probably 2008 when Lehman brothers went, went, um, bankrupt, I was, I was in college, it was a job fair, and the Lehman Brothers booth at the job fair, someone put up a sign that said, gone fishing, right? <laughs> and I just remember the uncertainty right. of what's going to happen. People were losing internships or unsure about going in and, and getting hired into an industry like this right now. And then I remember that uncertainty in March, 2020 of, are, pe are people able to work from home? Is this even legal? Or can we get into the systems? what's the future of mortgages look like? Are people still gonna have to pay? Um, so I think, you know, that one constant is that change and that uncertainty. And I would, I like your point earlier about kind of seeing the forest through the trees of the long-term goal for the industry and where you think you as an organization will get because that ends up being a good kind of guiding, guiding principle as you go through as those changes happen. Because I find that I see a lot of companies that are a little too overreactive. Um, I see some companies, they they run themselves like they're at a craps table. And basically uh, they keep on putting in money, putting in money, let's stay at the table as long as possible. And eventually that table is gonna get hot, right? Just like March, you know, April through the rest of 2020, the industry got hot or shortly before the great recession and a little bit after, right? So if you keep on staying at the table long enough, things are gonna get hot. I personally don't think that's a great way uh, to run an organization, you know, I think there's almost an opposite approach of 
let's let's make hay while we can, but let's prepare for that downturn, for that uncertainty instead. Let's prepare for the worst and expect the best, opposed to expecting the best and then just seeing what happens. I think some of the areas where you yeah. see that you know strategy yeah. in excess the most is in marketing. Sometimes marketing yeah. dollars are you know mm -hmm. they, people will go. Um, all out and and double down on it, and they don't necessarily have you know the the you know what they what they purport to have or what they wish to have, and um, yeah, there's only a little bit of the fake it to make it you know strategy that ultimately works in a in a yeah. long term relationship business. Mm -hmm. I remember I started in this industry right after the Great Recession and going out to conferences for the first time and people telling me about, you know, the glory days of the industry in the early 2000s. And people would say, oh, I remember when we used to give out cars at these types of things. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, like, is that a good thing? Like, is that is that the best? So it's just it's just funny how the kind of perspective of, of all of those things change over time. Yeah, the parties, um, the, the unlimited budget parties, though, I do kind of miss that. Fair enough. Yeah, I uh, can understand. I never quite lived in that world in the mortgage industry, so I don't really have uh, anything to compare it to. <laughs> Great. Um, so um, final question that I have that I like to ask everyone, uh, what gets you up in the morning? What gets you excited to you know, go and, and work on sales and marketing and mortgage technology? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, and, and I like the question because it's always been the opposite question, you know, that I've addressed, especially yeah. 15 years at a compliance company. It's clearly what keeps you up at night. And the answer oh, that's is how I start with every compliance manager I talk to, but I think it's a question I gave you, but it's more fun to ask the positive. Oh, one. absolutely. Yeah. No, the up at night is, you know, risk is always at the forefront, yeah. but that's, that's the, the better part now is what, what gets you up in the morning because there is so much promise now. I think we're in the midst of a lot of change and there's a mm -hmm. lot of innovation. There's a lot of companies doing interesting things right now. Mm -hmm. And so it's exciting to be a part of it. Um, you know, in my case, I, I think that, you know, on a, on a more kind of close to me level, um, the, the people I work with um, are, are really ambitious, but also supportive. And so I, I think for anyone, lender, vendor, anyone in, in this space, um, sort of taking stock of who it is you're, working who's on your team and who you're working with those are those are critical questions and and being you know honest and and, and transparent with one another um i mean I'll, I'll this is a weird example jim but mm -hmm. i had a um recently we we fired a, a a client for using abusive language towards our people mm -hmm. and well kind of an unfortunate thing but i, I love that i work with the company you know who puts our people yeah. first. And, and that's, you know, community is only going to be lip service unless you live it out. And so that is actually, you know, the promise of where we can go. And there's so much more that we can go as an industry. Mm -hmm. um, but that that's the motivating factor. But then getting to do it with people that you enjoy working with, that you know, absolutely pertains to, you know, what gets you going. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that, you know, you're an organization that does that. You know, there's always the old adage, the customer's always right. And yeah. I think it's a lot more complicated than that at the end of the day. And I've had to do the same of, you know, I reached out to my point of contact at customers and said, if you're going to keep, if you're, this person is going to keep talking to our staff that way, we're, we're going to have to go in a different direction. So yeah, 
it's, you know, I think it's important and I think it's a good change to have. So, you know, I love that that was the note you ended on as someone who's partnered with your company during the pandemic that we launched it. You know, you guys have been great to work with, really value the partnership. So thanks so much for coming on and uh, yeah, hope to hear from you more in the future. Likewise, Jim. Thanks again. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thank you for listening to Lodestar's Landing Leaders. I'd like to give a special thanks to Brian Rieger and Elena Gardner who help us create this podcast every week. Please remember to like and subscribe the podcast wherever you listen to it. It helps us a lot. Thanks. Talk to you next week.